Hey there, and welcome to episode number 153 of Marvel by the Month, the podcast that takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. In this episode, that month is January 1971. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Jamie Wenger. Rob is still on vacation. Oh! We hope he comes back. <laughs> we do. Sometime. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, hey, we're not sweating it, uh, just as we did last week. Uh, we have lined up a replacement Rob to help us steer the ship and yeah, maybe crash it directly into something. Who knows? You know. Um, but uh, I, I would like to uh, introduce our, our guest host uh, for this episode. Um, you may have seen her and her comic shop, Books with Pictures, in recent installments of the Mark Trail syndicated comic strip by Jules Rivera. Whoa! Uh, she's a member of Comics Pro's Board of Directors, a perennial finalist for the Will Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award. This is going to be her year. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling it right now. Heck yeah. Making her third appearance on Marvel by the Month, it's Katie Pride. Hi, friends. <laughs> How's it going? So good. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it is so good to have you back on the show uh, and, and here with us in person in studio. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. I, I mean, you are responsible for a fair amount of the stuff in it. It pays my rent. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, uh, it's also a great space for not making eye contact with people, which as you know, a social recluse like myself is great because there's so much to look at. In here. Yeah, it's a place where um, comics folk can be real comfortable. Real, yes, very much at ease. Yep. Uh, well, Katie, the last time we had you on uh, was the month that Yellowjack debuted. Uh, I would not have blamed you uh, <laughs> if you had chosen not to come back uh, and hang out with us again, but I'm so happy you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and of course, you know, that led up to uh, a, a, a pivotal Marvel Comics wedding. We have another exciting marvel wedding to talk about this month um but uh yeah before we get into all that um how how are things uh, as a comic shop owner in uh this this year of our plague lord three <laughs> <laughs> the store is doing really really well we're having a really good time we're getting into doing events again and meetups and that's been fantastic um as you know comics distribution has gotten real weird uh, yeah. these last couple of years um Sort of what kicked it off was when DC Comics decided that they were going to start their very own um, sort of shadow distributor slash new distributors anyway. Um, and then Marvel Comics went from Diamond to Penguin Random House. And it's just gotten weirder since then. I am redoing our ordering manual this week. Mm. And I learned that we have over, so sort of and counting, 115 different publishers work on the shelves. Whoa. Wow. And we get those 115 different publishers from over 16 discrete distributors. Whoa. That's so, not the easiest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which is a huge relief to me because there has been this creeping sense that the job mm. is harder and harder. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, you just get up and do it every day. <laughs> do you feel like you're just going to gaslit by distribution? And I feel like this is my chance as the frog to hop out of the boiling pot and <laughs> sort of take a bird's eye view. Yeah. Frog's eye view. Sure. Of the current state of distribution and what it is, is bonkers. So that's that's great. And this is, I mean, so what you do with, with Comics Pro, which is a trade organization for folks who sell funny books to people. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, this is sort of like, I, I mean, I feel like what you're just describing is sort of like almost like being in the lab um, and mm. like kind of experimenting on <laughs> your store and your like 
how how to support other you know uh, retailers who don't have nearly this level of experience or you know or just access to you know this information well and one of the things that i really have going for me is a fantastic staff so that i can sort of take that step back because i am not personally responsible for every book that gets ordered and mm. every book that gets shelved and every box that gets unpacked like yeah. there's a team for that um and so yeah being able to do this this kind of i mean it's always good to have a manual but i feel like comic shops because we are just such um it's such a stressful operation, no matter how you're running it, yeah. that it's hard to step back. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely a good resource to have and a good perspective to have. But also, it's just, it's genuinely very hard right now mm. to do any kind of retail, I'm yeah. sure. Um, the supply chain stories are horrifying. Um, and the uh, back page of any uh, X-Men comic which lists the upcoming books <laughs> and their dates, it is pure fantasy yeah. at oh, this yeah. point. Those books are not coming anywhere near those dates. Oh. Um, <laughs> it is the most fictional part of the issue. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, the rest is very <laughs> obviously realistic. Um, but, yeah, the delays are getting uh, real bad, and they're going to stay real bad all year, I think. I was... I, I, I was reading something posted by someone who was working in the publishing industry and just saying like the lead time that they have had to like before they could talk about having a book ship, you know, three months from now and be reasonably confident. Um, but just with like printers getting backed up, paper supplies being what they are, you know, everything. And, you know, and, and God help you if you have to you know, cross an ocean to have your books printed. Mm. Um, Cause you just don't know if, printers will be available but yeah well, they, they were just saying it's like it really is just kind of like jesus take the wheel moment like yeah. it's like i mean maybe this will be out in six months let's say it will be oh, right man. you know um and records apparently if you're a record person uh records are pressing more than a year out it's like what 14 Whoa. to 16 months oh my gosh so it's it's the whole it's the whole making of things right now is a bit of a mess which like is mostly bad, but maybe there's good opportunities there for people to figure out better ways to do things. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's definitely periods of upheaval tend to lead to maybe someone's going to invent a doohickey, they, right? There could be a doohickey. I'm going to bring back the mimeograph. Do it. Yes. There we go. Problem solved. <laughs> we can print our own one color comics and get high while we're doing it. <laughs> Living the dream. Good plan. Good plan. Uh, no, but it's it's fun. It's fascinating. Uh, we have our creators meetup back up and running, which is very heartwarming to see and all sorts of new kids meetups. It's, it's great. Yeah. It's great. I oh. love running a comic shop. And your store is about to turn a certain age, isn't it? Don't you have an anniversary coming up pretty oh, we soon? we are. We are. It'll be our sixth anniversary, yeah. which doesn't feel like a big round number. But, right. you know, it's also, Jamie, the anniversary of our friendship. So that's that, true. That's yeah. very pleasing yep. to me. Pretty, when you pretty exactly. battered down her door before she was even <laughs> open and said, sell me some comics. <laughs> he did not. What he said specifically was, my whole life is comics. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah, I find that's a helpful way to make a new friend. It was, you know, yeah. No matter what the... It was just come out really easy going. <laughs> it was very memorable. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you also have one of... I, I'm sure it has its own stresses uh, that accompany it, but one of the more fun days of owning a comic store coming up. So the the Saturday after this episode drops, uh, it's free comic book day. 
It uh, is a free comic book day all over the nation slash world. If you have a local comic book store near you uh, that is supplied by Diamond Comics, um, they are probably hosting a free comic book day, as is Books with Pictures. Uh, we are going to be having a little maker fair. So we've invited a handful of local uh, creators, not just of comics, but of other things. Um I think Optimistical Studios, which makes fan jewelry, is mm, going to be there. Cool. As is the uh, Permaids people, the people who make the adorable books about mermaid cats and then also mermaid <laughs> cat plushies. Oh, um, they're going to be there. Um, Talk about a crossover audience. As well as our resident florist, um, Pup Tent Flowers, is going to be uh, vending. So we've got a handful of vendors on site. Uh, we've got face painting. We've got a lineup of artists to come and do sketches. Sketches for for visitors. Um, we've got a oh, we have Mega Thruster. We have a musical performance coming Ooh, in um, because everybody needs some nerd rock in their free comic book day. <laughs> it's also the grand opening of our food cart pod, short box food carts. Cool, um, that's a great name, right? Which is uh, to the to the east of our building. We're going to have um, at the very least our fancy Belgian waffles cart. Yes, our local ingredients soups and sandwiches cart, oh. and Ramblin' Rose vegan soft serve ice cream whoa wow that's a um, trifecta right there yep so all of those things um and then surely there's something else i mean that oh, was that's a it? lot of things yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all you're doing come on oh and uh, so we do have this new garden project which is what i was working on this morning which is why i'm slowly blooming into a sunburn um <laughs> which uh has um which we are getting a bunch of little tiny fairy doors for, and there's going to be fairy door painting. Wow. Oh, my gosh. So that our visiting children can paint doors, which we can then install in our garden to give our fairy friends homes. Oh, wow. That's adorable. And um, I... I know you put out the call for volunteers and I fully uh, intended to sign up uh, and I'm still planning on doing it. So maybe you'll have at least one Marvel by the month uh, professional podcaster um, looking like a deer in the headlights trying to figure out how to help. Um, Yeah, it's fun. I I think I did it a couple of years. I think you have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, It definitely listeners. If you want to come visit us or volunteer, uh, check our socials. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're on Instagram. We're on uh, Facebook, we're on the Twitters, we're we're on the internet and at Books W Pictures, I think in all places. So. Nice, yeah. I'm I'm so looking forward to this. I mean, I, I look, I love a free comic book, but I mean, <laughs> it's just the fact that we haven't been able to do this like in any sort of normal way mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a couple three years now. Um, like. Last year, I, f- I feel like you did some, but it was in August, right? Or something? It was in August. Yeah. Um, we did all of our book distribution outside. Yeah. Um, and in like pre-packed packets so right. that there was like no opportunity for congestion. It was fine. It was lovely. Sure. Um, but I do feel like one of the things that this celebration this year really lets us celebrate is one of the big opportunities of the pandemic, which is that... Um, We've been putting a lot of time and energy in developing our outdoor spaces. Yes. Um, yeah. Because one of the ways that I've been thinking about making us, you know, not pandemic proof, obviously, but more resilient if this kind of disease is part of our lives going forward, mm-hmm. um, is having the ability to continue gathering even when we need to be gathering with a little bit more air around us. Yeah. So. 
Um, I'm really excited to have the stage coming in and to have the covered area in the food carts so that we can continue spending time together and being excited about comics, even when we don't all want to be breathing the same air. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great because, I mean, the glimpse we got out of the pandemic, if if Twitter is the only place we can come together as a community, I I just don't want to live in that timeline. Yeah, Yeah. not great. Yeah. Well, uh we're looking forward to uh, all of the free comic books of May 2022, uh, but we're here to talk about the comics that people paid for. I mean, they didn't pay that much for them, but uh, in January of 1971. Uh, and before we do that, we got to uh, set the stage with a little historical context for January 1971. Uh, Jamie, how about you kick us off? Certainly. In January 1971, one of the very first American graphic novels, Black Mark, was published by Bantam Books. Conceived and drawn by Gil Kane and scripted by Archie Goodwin from Kane's Outline, it told the story of the gladiator hero of a post-apocalyptic Earth. That sounds great. I, 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 I honestly never heard of it, and I feel like... I really should have heard of yeah, something like, like that yeah, by now. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was like a little, like uh, just like a paperback novel size, uh, cool little graphic novel. Yeah, huh. so I'd heard of uh, it rhymes with lust, the one that Arnold Drake wrote and Matt Baker illustrated. Um, but this and this came out like before, um, like Will Eisner's graphic novels. It came Ooh. out, yeah, like trust. It rhymes with oh, it rhymes with lust. Uh, no, the dust. the main character, <laughs> her name is Rust something. Oh, uh, so, okay. Yeah, she's a femme fatale. Ah. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> that's. You know, but it, I mean, if, if that is not a, a hard boiled noir, seriously, title, you know, yeah, that's, strong that's premise, pretty good. Uh, well, let's see. Um, so uh, on on the first of January, nineteen seventy one. The last cigarette commercials on U.S. television and radio were broadcast. Whoa. Tobacco manufacturers spent $1,250,000 for the farewell advertising prior to the ban that went into effect at midnight. The last commercial was a 60-second ad for Virginia Slims that was run by the Philip Morris Company at 11.59 during a break <laughs> on The Tonight Show on NBC. Uh, the company had bought the last pre-midnight ads on the late-night talk shows of all three networks, with ads for Marlboro on CBS on the Merv Griffin show and for Benson and Hedges on ABC on the Dick Cavett show. Huh. Did smoking rates like plummet sometime after that? And or? then everyone stopped smoking. Yep. That was the last we that heard of. Yep. We just had to stop putting it on television. <laughs> I'm really surprised it's that early. I feel like I remember cigarette ads in my lifetime, but I guess not. No, I, after that, cigarettes had to turn to product placement. Ah, yes, that's exactly right, it. Yep. Right. They had to get slightly sneakier about it. I mean, I'm just thinking 60 seconds is a long time. It's a long time to watch someone that's smoking. That's a long <laughs> yeah. advertisement. That's a deep inhale. Yeah. yeah. On January 5th, 1971, the only known instance of the Harlem Globetrotters being defeated by the designated losers in their exhibition performances, the New Jersey Reds won 100-99 to in Martin, Tennessee. While the Globetrotters were entertaining the crowd that day, they lost track of the game and the score. <laughs> <laughs> That's mint. They, Pride goeth before fall. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> they found themselves down 12 points with two minutes left to go. Forced to play normal basketball, the Globetrotters uh, rallied but could not recover. The Reds secured their victory when their 50-year-old founder, Louis Red Klotz, hit the winning basket with seconds left on the clock. Then Meadowlark Lemon missed a shot that would have given the game back to the Globetrotters. The timekeeper tried to 
stop the clock, but could not. <laughs> and when the final buzzer sounded, the crowd was dumbfounded and disappointed. Klotz described the fans' reaction as they looked at us like we killed Santa Claus. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Can you imagine that crowd? Like, they, they 100% went in there thinking they knew the ending and yeah. got probably the show of their lives, like... What? Like they must have been shocked. Yeah, it'd be like watching a professional wrestling match and like seeing a guy get like legitimately knocked out and defeated. <laughs> right, or right, right. Like what just happened? Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's see. On the seventh of January, nineteen seventy-one, Jeremy Renner, uh, the American film actor who's ah, he's known only for playing Hawkeye <laughs> uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was born in Modesto, California. Um, and uh, five days later, on the 12th of January, the landmark television sitcom All in the Family premiered on CBS Yay. at 9.30. Um, I get that theme song stuck in my head all the time still for no reason. Like, the, the duet on the piano? Yeah, yeah. It pops into my head constantly. And I like wasn't I was a fetus when that show was on. Like, <laughs> it's just yeah, it's like in there from late night TV or something. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you just uh, you, you love your uh Working class racist oh, protagonists. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Boys were boys and men were men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, it was the first show to be videotaped in front of a live audience, uh, as opposed to being filmed with a laugh track added in editing. Hmm. It wasn't super highly rated in its first season, uh, but uh, it had topical and controversial themes, um, which drew some notice. Uh, viewers turned in, uh, tuned in to the summer reruns. And by the end of the 71-72 season, it was the number one most watched show on American TV with a 34.0 rating in its position on Saturday evenings. Saturday evenings? Weird. Yeah. Huh. Um, But yeah, there were what, like eight channels at that point? Yeah, right. I guess getting 34. Does that mean 34 million people were watching it? I assume so. Wow. Yeah. On January 25th, the murder trial of Charles Manson and three of his Manson family followers ended with the jury returning guilty verdicts for all four. Manson, Patricia Krenwinkel, and Susan Atkins were convinced of seven counts of first-degree murder in the Tate-LaBianca murders of August 9th and 10th, 1969. And Leslie Van Houten was found guilty of the five murders committed on August 9th. No relation to Millhouse, as far as I know. That's a bummer. Yeah. Or maybe that's good, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. And on the 28th of January, so this is a big one, uh, the Comics Code Authority met to discuss an easing of their restrictions Yay. and a softening of their rules. Nice. Uh, so the meeting was held in New York between the representatives of the five major comic book publishers <laughs> at the time, which feels like a five families oh, thing, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and eh, maybe there was a little bit more They're, to that. Yeah. We're pretty mobbed up, yeah. yeah, yeah I yeah. don't yeah. think that's... Nice comic book you got there. <laughs> sure would be a shame if somebody regulated it. <laughs> so, uh, and, and those five publishers were uh, National Publications, which marketed themselves as DC Comics at the time, uh, Marvel Comics, Harvey Comics, Archie Comics, and Charlton Comics. Hmm. There's your big five. Uh, Among the changes to the Comics Code was occasionally allowing for the sometimes sympathetic depiction of criminal behavior and corruption among public officials. Huh. Which you used to not be able to show at all. Uh, But they did clarify they could only be included as long as it is portrayed as exceptional and the culprit is punished. Hmm. Um... And the code uh, would also begin to permit some criminal activities to kill law enforcement officers. Whoa. Yeah. That's so. a big swing. So so I want to, I want to, I was having a conversation the other day about the comics code. Oh, yeah. And the thing that became clear 
that had not been quite clear for me before is that we think about a, a lot of the times when people talk about the comics code, they talk about it as a restriction, a censorship, as a regulation. Right. But as you note, it's the five comics publishers putting this yeah. together. Yes. It's not a regulatory body. It's, in fact, to avoid being policed by regulatory bodies, um, which is to say that if I was, if I was say, an accountant and I was finding the part of my line items to put comics code authority work in mm -hmm. do you know what i would call it it's marketing yeah yeah it is not right. regulation it is 100 marketing mm -hmm. it is about finding a way as a profit gaining entity to convince parents that comic books are safe for their children yep which is not regulation or censorship. Right. It's marketing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at best, it's self-censorship. But also, uh, it was designed to put EC Comics out of business because they were doing it. Maliciously and yeah, explicitly, right, right. yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely accurate. It yeah. is absolutely a marketing arm. Yeah. Like, I wonder if they hadn't taken it upon themselves to do it and it had been a government agency, like, would it have been more restrictive or less restrictive or... I don't know. I don't know that it would have held up, honestly, because I think it would have been a free speech issue at that point. Uh, you know? Okay. And but I think it really was like, you know, at the time the the code came into existence, you had literally, you know, church groups and parents groups organizing mass burnings of comics. Mm. Right. As well as testimony in front of Congress about yeah. the dangers of them. Right. right. So co the comics code was very much in response to that. Mm -hmm. But it was a marketing response to that. Yeah. I never thought of it that, that way. That's super interesting. Uh, yeah. They had a seal and everything. They did. They had a seal and everything. And in the last two years before the comic code was revealed as empty, uh, the thing that revealed them as empty is that uh, the offices were vacant. Somebody <gasps> followed up. What? <laughs> no. Somebody followed up the like actual registration of the Comics Code Authority, <gasps> and and the offices had no one in them. Are you kidding? At which point the public, uh, the publisher who was still using, which I believe was DC, yeah. admitted that they had just been self-regulating for the last two years, and there had been no one to send the comics what? to. What? That's bananas. So, That's wild. And yeah. now, and then somehow. Uh, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund owns the seal? It was, in fact, a gift. <laughs> That's really? so great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was when when they, when they it finally shut down the trademark and the seal and all of yeah. those things was, was gifted to the CBLDF. I love that so much. Oh, it sounds like a Coen Brothers movie. Like, that's so silly. <laughs> so much of comics history feels like a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. I mean, it's all, like, just people taking advantage of each other and, like... Yeah, suspected mob ties yeah and, right right you know like good guys getting ground into the dirt yeah. so yeah you yeah. know for kids yeah <laughs> uh so what uh, so yeah so they they uh they allow now uh sympathetic depiction of criminal behavior um uh you can you know show law enforcement uh officers being killed by criminal behavior which you couldn't do before um also uh the code would now allow for the suggestion but not portrayal of seduction. Mm. Um, and there was a clause in the code that they removed, which was that uh, suggestive posture is unacceptable. Suggestive posture? Yes. Wow. So now you can have suggestive posture in your comic books. Huh. Yep. 
Um, and then also newly allowed were vampires, ghouls, and werewolves. When handled in the classic tradition such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high-caliber literary works written by Edgar Allan Poe, Saki, Conan Doyle, and other respected authors whose works are read in schools around the world. <laughs> Great. All one giant run-on sentence. Um, mm. uh, but zombies, which lacked the re- requisite literary background, remain taboo. So still can't have zombies. Weird. Yeah. And so we got to have Morbius. A living vampire. Mm. Wow, way to skirt the line on that one. <laughs> He's a science vampire. He's a science vampire. Uh, so anyway, that is a little glimpse of uh, what we're getting into uh, in the world of January 1971. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll talk about the Marvel comics of January 1971 right here on Marvel by the Month. Hey, it's promo time. Um, So as you may know, if you're a regular listener, Marvel by the Month signed a sponsorship deal at the start of the season to promote one of Marvel Comics 1970s advertisers each issue. I don't honestly understand how this benefits anyone. um, But anyway, here we go again. Uh, So far, these ads have mostly ranged uh, from inexplicable to just flat out exploitative. Mm. Uh, Last week's wasn't too bad, I guess. Uh, We got to share some interesting facts about the history of rocketry oh right yeah yeah. uh but uh yeah jamie i guess with rob out again this week um are you okay with doing the copy again uh yeah yeah sure okay Uh, all right here goes nothing here's a convenient pleasant way for anyone over 17 to finish high school at home with just a few hours a week of spare time study this practical program is offered by academy for home study it was planned especially for working men and women who need a diploma to get ahead and can't take out time to go back to classroom study Hmm. i'm sure this is about to take a turn but so far this seems reasonable Uh, yeah so uh send for academy's free booklet it tells you how you can finish high school at home low cost easy terms you will also receive a free uh valuable government booklet with advice for dropouts you may discover you are much closer to completing completing high school than you ever imagined Mail coupon today for both booklets. There's no cost or obligation. Wow, that actually sounds like something that could have helped people who needed it. Uh, Maybe Marvel is becoming a little more selective about who they're running ads for? Yeah, maybe. Well, that'll be a nice surprise for Rob when he gets back. (laughs) Um, We're also supported each and every week by our patrons at patreon.com slash marvelbythemonth. They are the ones who actually make it possible for us to make this show every single week. We are so grateful to each and every one of them. And there's something in it for them as well. Everyone who supports us at the $4 a month level gets access to our bonus feeds. And every episode from this season and most episodes from last season have extended versions that you can only hear if you're a Patreon subscriber. Yeah, if you want to hear us take deeper dives into more comics, those extended versions are where to find them. We have almost 40 episodes in the bonus feed by now. Uh, Some of them are literally twice the length of the public versions. (laughs) That's my bad, mostly. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Mike Allred's a talker, too. Oh, right, right, right. uh, Wait, you had Fraction on for some of those, right? Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fraction's still recording the episode. We just (laughs) turned off the mics. Uh, But, uh, yeah, these bonus episodes, uh, it's not more, it's not just more of us yammering away. You can hear more of your favorite Marvel by the Month guests, like, Hey, Clint McElroy, the aforementioned Mike Allred, uh, Jordan Morris, Douglas Wolk, Chelsea Kane, Tom Brevoort, the Heinz brothers from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. Matt Fraction and yes, Katie Pride. Yeah. Yo. 
And if you think that the episodes you're getting for free are plenty long enough, let me just hit you with this. Everyone who supports us at patreon.com slash Marvel by the month is helping to make the show happen, period. Yeah, we don't want to have to sell you mattresses in a box or meal kits or personal grooming tools with bad boy ad copy. <laughs> uh, we Gross. just need your help to keep uh, from turning into actual shills. Uh, so please save us from this terrible fate. Head to patreon.com slash Marvel by the month to support us today. Welcome back to Marvel by the Month. We will be discussing Thor 186 Worlds at War, written by Stan Lee, art by John Buscema, and Joe Sinnott. This is another cover that's very similar to the Fantastic Four one, Mm -hmm. where you've got a lot of dialogue. There's a visually complicated text hierarchy. um, But more importantly, this one has Thor progressively wasting away over six images. Yeah. And it's mint. It's it works so much better than the Fantastic Four one because like it does a much better job of guiding your eye yeah. through it. So well, because there's the progression of him going from whereas the Fantastic Four was just everything at once. This yes. is like there's a time passage happening. Exactly. Yep. It goes from top to bottom. There's significantly fewer typefaces. Yep. Um yeah. It's it's a much the much color more. palette's a little bit more reined in. Yeah. 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 It it definitely works a lot better. Yeah. Um but also Hell is on there and she is a little literal and metaphorical queen. She is spectacular. Yeah. Yep. The splash play the splash page declares this perhaps the greatest saga in this the Marvel age. I mean that's that's a bold claim at yeah. the beginning of your comic book. I mean, they did I mean he did lead with perhaps. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that leaves it's you a little a bit of a backdoor. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so Odin stands among the stunning cosmic nonsense, declaring that uh, his son is in danger and he can't turn, his, but he can't turn his back on infinity, mm-hmm. which is so true. And he also seems to be wearing an adult diaper. He does over his armor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. So. I actually have a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Illustration. Mm-hmm. John Buscema. Mm-hmm. Embellishment. Yeah. What the heck does that mean? They toss that in there sometimes, don't they? Yeah. So I feel like this is one of those things. Sometimes I think it's just Stan being clever. Like he just, you know, Mm. I I, I think sometimes also it is, it it is sort of like reading between the lines of like, did the inker do a little bit more than just the inking this (laughs) time? John maybe didn't finish this one up. Maybe, maybe Joe got the... Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was a storyboards and then art situation. Yeah. Right. It might have been very loose pencils and then Senate had to do a little overtime on it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Embellishment. Yeah. So Odin flat out says that he is all that's standing between infinity and death, which sounds like some resume padding to me, but it is actually (laughs) judging by the like super trippy stuff that he's fighting Mm -hmm. uh, is, is pretty true. Yeah. This page is stunning and all sorts of cool. Like, trying to describe it with words is kind of silly like it's definitely worth checking out um but yeah there's it's only six panels like i mean we're two pages in but it's like stunning already it's the giant face in the bottom that is is the the message from thor this this issue is the giant face issue we have lots of giant faces lots of distorted giant faces and that is our first distorted giant face and i love it very much yeah there's also no connection between these panels. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six panels on this page, and there's no like connective 
thing happening. It's just images. Yeah, it gives you the sense of like you're you're seeing something cosmic taking place, but it you're like only getting glimpses of it. Yeah, you know? it's sort of like a, a slideshow of things that you you're. Your brain. human mind cannot possibly pos- yeah, and exactly. I also like that where we normally where crackle normally would be in a lot of places in this these first few pages there's moons yeah, yeah they're like yeah. crescent moons yep. and I absolutely love the crescent moons except for in the places where he forgets how moons work <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if you look in the top right there's like there's moons going in several different directions that's less good the moons the moons all need to go the same direction right yes. right that's how moons that's do. how moons yeah it's part of the job description of <laughs> yeah. moon yeah but in the bottom where they all go the same way, they're brilliant. Yes, yeah. agreed. <laughs> so Donald Blake, uh, in the last issue, Thor uh, doesn't have his hammer. And if he doesn't have it for 60 seconds, he turns into Donald Blake. That's happened. He's fighting a troll. Um, Giant face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So Odin's watching uh, Donald Blake have this fight and he can't get to his hammer. So uh, I think Odin helps out and kind of nudges the hammer closer. Um, and then we get. Oh, so. Donald Blake turns into Thor and then we get that's it, like not great pages. There's like three or four of them of like Thor fighting this troll. Yeah. He keeps knocking him down and he keeps getting up and it's just like not not the best. He gets you ain't never going to keep him <laughs> down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it was that or Trumbo Wumbo. I wasn't sure which which direction we were going with that. Yep. Um, so after Thor is done fighting the troll, he... because because this this guardian this this four armed troll thing keeps getting resurrected by Infinity, right? Yeah, he's a servant of Infinity. So right. Thor basically kills him, and I don't say kill, but he kills him, um, and then Infinity brings him back. And then Thor is like, well, I guess I'll just do that again because that's not the definition of insanity, right? Um, but you know, I mean, he's look when you got a hammer, it <laughs> looks like someone to hit a hammer with. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or someone around whom to throw your hammer real fast to create a sphere of force strong enough to shield thee from the power of infinity. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Nothing shields from infinity like spinning. Like a spinning hammer. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so that's that's Mjolnir's new power this month. Yep. <laughs> so after Thor is done fighting the troll, he briefly fights a mist real fast. There's a little mist fight. Mm-hmm. To um, me my mallet I want to point out to me, my mallet is a thing that Thor actually says. Yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> Next time I play croquet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, right, he's, right, he fights the mist, he fights some rocks, and then he zooms off to help Odin, uh, who actually seemed like he was doing fine without Thor's help. Um, and then I think on the way to get to Odin, Thor encounters the silent one. Yeah. Who's just bearing witness to all this. And this makes Thor want to hit him. And this is this creepy, like, oh, so uh, cool. Yeah. Kind of has like, uh, looks like he's a million years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was obvious last time we saw him in last issue, but so he's in these like purple robes. Um, and kind I, of this like apple doll face. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, yeah. but Great desiccated to... granny face. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, but I, I don't know if we knew he had a, a metal skull cap. No, no, yeah. I don't think so. But Actually now... skull and back of neck and possibly the rest of him cap. Oh yeah. It may be oh. like a part of like a suit of armor or like a skin tight suit of armor or something. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's, it's yeah. His legs too, actually. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, he, he just looks like, uh, and, and like, you know, eyes all white. Um, yeah, like a very, uh, I mean, he he's obviously not a zombie because you, know, <laughs> you he, couldn't possibly he couldn't yeah. possibly have one of those, but he's <laughs> he's basically looks like a zombie. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. So he's real creepy throughout this whole thing. Uh, and Thor, I think, is equally creeped out by him and wants to beat him up, but he has to go fight 
So this is our best insight into Thor's character, maybe in a good long time, because Thor in the three top panels of page nine is having a utter oh, yeah. meltdown uh-huh. because all he is for is hitting things and he can't hit anything. And mm-hmm. so he just does not know what to do. Yeah. 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 It's a surprisingly good piece of character work in yeah. this in this title that yeah. we almost never see. Yeah. Yep. I live to battle. I live to serve. Yet him in whose name doth sir Thor doth fight stoppeth me at every term. What good is my power? Right. What good my strength if I be not free to use them? And his face is just like dissolving into rage. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah, I want to do is hit. <laughs> but, but his dad is telling him is like, don't, don't hit. Don't hit. Don't no, hit. don't you do it. But then creepy old guy, uh, he's like gesturing because uh, he's like, he heard Thor having his meltdown. Mm-hmm. And he points in a direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Thor goes through some dark green smoke tunnels under the direction of the silent one. The language on these pages is wild. Mm-hmm. It is Stan in his full Shakespearean mode. It's yeah. so beautifully elevated. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we got all this awesome cosmic stuff. But meanwhile, on Earth, uh, science people are freaking out uh, as they look through telescopes and planets are vanishing and space is shrinking and cities are flooding or catching on fire. There are earthquakes and sinkholes and the Senate approve of tax cuts. And I mean, it's just it's, <laughs> it's crazy out there. It is our second John Buscema apocalypse this month. Yeah. Because in the first issue we read in the Fantastic Four, the way that that Reed uh. explains uh, that it is most important that they leave Sue behind and go into the negative zone mm-hmm. is with these panels depicting Apocalypse, yeah. which looks a lot like these two panels depicting Apocalypse, because apparently that's what was on his mind this month. There you go. Interesting. Uh, it's a shame there's not sometimes there's stuff in the news where you can be like, oh, that's probably what he was pulling from. But this mm-hmm. is like a pretty chill news month. It was. Yeah. Although. Th- what about five three months, months ago? Yeah, exactly. Oh, right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Well, it would have been August, and August is always a terrible month. As we well established. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Um, yeah, the last one was like, if there's Armageddon, the light posts will fly everywhere. Right. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And in this one, it's like the buses will float away on the water and possibly the Statue of Liberty. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and cliffside communities will plummet oh, yeah, yeah. into fire yeah I mean, that's, that's just erosion yeah. that's that's pretty much just how it is on the that's why Oregon you can't get an insurance right now you can't get insurance policy on them anymore yeah, they just fall right in. <laughs> yep so that's what's going on on earth everyone's freaking out uh but even in asgard um <laughs> yeah yeah bring it on the dialogue on apocalypse is extra good because it is fortunately we had a parachute all the way through the first piece of dialogue is if the radio hadn't warned us and told us to abandon the streets we'd all have been abandoned in this flood and the second one is everywhere on earth the situation is the same entire populations flee for their lives as whole towns and villages are inundated by floods and earthquakes so we the image is an entire town falling off a cliff but since entire populations flee we know that at the end of this story nobody died yeah Yeah. Yeah, everyone's okay. Everyone had a parachute. The radio told them. (laughs) Right, right. Fortunately. (laughs) Nobody died in this apocalypse, guys. Everyone's fine. Oh, it's one of those apocalypses (laughs) where everyone's generally okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not like the current one. Right, right. Very different. Uh, so the I don't know if we've said this, but the Warriors three have been entranced some somewhere. This yeah. is the introduction of that plot point, right? Did they do that last time? I think they may have mentioned like Infinity had gotten a hold of them somehow and and like stolen their brains. Okay, but, but I also think imprisoned. it was a, I think it was a Marvel by the Minute thing. So. Oh, so, so who the heck knows? So no, this is the first time we're mentioning it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. So the, the main things in, in Asgard are that the Warriors three are entranced and locked up. And then you've got this like perspective baffling Odin sword that is so huge that it goes across the horizon or it's like big and floating in a room. Sure. It's crazy. But if this thing comes out, we're, we're at game over. It's Ragnarok. Ragnarok. Yeah. You can. <laughs> you guys been rehearsing that? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <this> old time. <laughs> Uh, so the Warriors three break out of prison, like I think only three panels after being locked into it. Uh, and they want to, they want to pull the, the Odin sword out. Uh, Sif tries to talk them out of it. I'm assuming there's a penis metaphor in here somewhere. Uh, Balder comes in to fight the Warriors three. And this turns into like a pretty big melee. Mm-hmm. Also her tennis skirt is really good. Her tennis skirt. What page? Oh yeah. Uh, Sif is oh, in a, is yeah, in a cute 13. little yeah. mm-hmm. white and magenta tennis outfit. It is totally a tennis outfit. Uh, good prevails uh, in this fight, but the people are losing hope. Yeah. Um, and the people want Thor and Odin, but they're nowhere to be found. So that's what's going on elsewhere. Back in the land beyond. Uh, the Silent One leads Thor to a pair of like Kirby-costumed legs where it's revealed that Hela has arrived, um, as was foretold on the cover of the comic. We're on page 16, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, she looks rad, as always. The Silent One, it turns out, serves Hela? I guess that was a twist. Yeah, because she is infinity. Ew, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think she is actually. I, think I don't think was... she is. Mm-mm. Yeah, but, but the silent one serves her. The silent one definitely serves her. Or and, and she says that Thor is part of a mystic Ma- master plan. Right. Yeah. Um, and that the time has come for Thor to touch Hela. Right. But because she's the goddess of death, that's not as appealing as it sounds. Sure. So uh, they fight, she blasts him, and suddenly he is disturbingly old. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. His clothes don't fit. His neck and arms are like super long and saggy. It is very cool. He doesn't have the energy to move. He collapses in a heap, and Hela kind of pieces out. The silent one returns to Thor, and he's now shedding tears. Silent tears, because mm-hmm. he's Mr. Silent. He touches Thor, who quickly de- or re-ages, I guess, re-inflates. Right. Uh, leaving the silent one a corpse at his feet. What kind of corpse? You guessed it. A silent corpse. <laughs> uh, Thor then, meanwhile, soars into space. Um, Infinity is now abstractly closing in on Odin, who finally gets a look at Infinity's face. Um, and Infinity, still off panel, so we can't see it, says, did you not suspect? And Odin is just, like, I say the neighing all over the place. Like, he's in, he's shocked, completely uh, thrown by this. Yeah. Thor shows up to save the day, but Odin kind of look, looks at him weird, side eyes him a little bit, and then blasts Thor, Thor, saying that Odin now serves infinity. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. So Odin figured out who infinity was, mm-hmm. but we still don't know. We do not know. And now he's a pawn of infinity. Yeah. Things are, and, and Thor is like, look, if if my dad couldn't beat him. What chance? What chance do have I have? I? Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then next we're promised Thor versus Odin. So, wow. yeah. I want to know who Infinity is, and I want it to be someone good, and I'm prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, I feel like this is maybe three issues of Thor in a row where I really don't have any idea what's actually happening, but I'm really enjoying looking at <laughs> yes. the comics. Yeah. So um, This is a thing you look at for the pictures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, I, but if that cliffhanger at the end makes you buy next month's comic, it did its job. It did its job. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, if secret identities and childcare crises are not going to get you to pick up the next <laughs> issue, what are they for? Or weddings that weren't weddings? Yeah. Weddings yeah. that weren't weddings. I think yeah. this is my favorite issue of Thor that we've read. 
Like, I can't think of one that I liked more than this. I like all that, like, cosmic-y stuff. Yeah, and there's, like, yeah. a mystery. Hell is there. The silent one was mysterious. Was Every like depiction of Hella is gorgeous. Oh, it's so yeah. good. She's so. I mean, the art in here is is spectacular. It's significantly better than the Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah and oh, it's the definitely. same team, which it's is the wild. Same oh, team, is... but this one feels like it took its time. Like yeah. it was, it was paced well. Yeah, huh. it's nonsense, but it's really <laughs> nicely like comic nonsense. Yes. Yeah, um, and the Fantastic Four is not. Good guys, it was not a good issue. Yeah, I mean that whole that whole thing again just felt frenzied. Well, it's um, Janice, and so far the, all the Janice stuff has been a complete. Got it. Run around. Yeah, well, because like it's it's a three part story, right? And like the middle part was something they hacked together from something Kirby left behind. Yeah, and then right. they like wrote a beginning and an end to try to make it fit, and it doesn't. You no, know? but this is just like I mean, whether or not they really knew where they were going when they started, like. The world beyond. Yeah. It's like, I don't know if they did or not, but they really have taken us on a, a beautiful trip uh, yeah. to get there. So, yeah. I want to know more about the silent one. Like, what was his deal? Well, tune in next month. True <laughs> believer. The other thing to mention about the story issue, uh, Katie, you uh, discovered something about one of the letter writers. I did. So the this is one of the issues where uh, Marvel Unlimited decides to show us the letters. I wish they always did. They're fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first of these letter writers is a rather lengthy uh, romance-oriented explanation for why Dr. Don Blake is able to transform into Thor. It is very non-canonical um, and very silly, uh, but that's fine uh, because what she does, uh, our writer demands a no prize um, and uh, and then puts in a vote for Whitney Frost to no longer be with Tony Stark because she should go back to Jasper because he's a better a better match. Um, and she's, she, she's not wrong. <laughs> she volunteers that she might elaborate on the, that subject if she writes to Iron Man. But what's interesting is the reply not only says thanks and your no, no prize is on the way um, and please do write to Iron Man because everybody's just writing about the armor and we'd rather talk about his romantic prospects. Huh. Um, but also we are sending you an FFF for your production of that best-selling record, Nobody Loves the Hulk. So this is by Rosalind Rogoff from New Rochelle, New York, who wrote that best-selling record, Nobody Loves the Hulk, which you can find on YouTube. <laughs> which is quite good. Um, she bought advertisements for Nobody Loves the Hulk in the back of comics, uh, of Marvel Comics, for through 1968 and 1969 because she was trying to establish her musical career, um, but Whoa. in fact became a technical writer instead, uh, who kept a reasonably popular online, we used to call them blog, <laughs> um, <laughs> for the Pleasanton Weekly, uh, between January 2002 and roughly the present, um, by which she was found by a garage band which recorded Nobody Loves the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, the letter that she was sent said, uh, I'm looking for the composer of this song, which was advertised in comic books in 1970. The composer credit says R.L. Rogoff, and I found a red book website that gave the composer's full name as Rosalind Rogoff and you are the only one in the country so if you know about this song I really need to talk to you. Wow. wow. That's wild. So um, yes and she confesses in her blog about her adolescent nerdiness and so oh on gosh. and it is just an utter delight and also uh, the 
song was re-recorded uh, by the Swedish band called The Maggots in 2006 uh, and originally recorded by The Traits in 1969. And both versions are on YouTube and cool. everybody should go look them up. That's fantastic. That's awesome. I think we have to have that as our outro. For totally. Episode, right? Totally. Yeah. Well, especially Rob's not around to yeah, exactly. shut our ideas down. We can yeah. do whatever we want now. <laughs> Take that, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, I, I, so she's she's uh, a a no prize recipient and, and an a, FFF recipient, which I think is a yeah friends, fe- fearless fr- face f- fearless front facer fearless front facer. Really? I believe is correct. Yeah. Oh, um, that's way off. And um, I do want to point out that uh, this I, I discovered this in conversation with Douglas Wolk, as one does, uh, <laughs> where he points out that um, he owns that record. Of course, <laughs> of course, course he does. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you need a physical copy, you got to have Douglas back on and he'll, he'll share it with oh you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, that's not the only uh, letter by someone of note um, who would go on to uh, contribute to uh, comics and geek culture. Um, there's also a letter by Neil S. Posner from Seaford, New York. Um, he just writes in saying how much he liked Thor number 180, which is one of the uh, Neil Adams issues mm. after Kirby left. Um, saying he was pleasantly surprised to see how, um, you know, Joe Sinnott uh, and, and Neil Adams inks, uh, Joe Sinnott's inks on Neil Adams pencils complemented each other. Um, and he was just, you know, uh, really surprised that that worked um, and he was pleased um, and, you know, just closes by saying Stan seems at home more with Thor than with any other book, even Fantastic Four, which hmm. I think is yeah true at this point. Um, and he says Thor is rapidly becoming one of Marvel's best books. Um, and so Neil Posner, um, if you're not familiar uh, with him, uh, he went on to. Um, worked for DC Comics. Um, first, he was a design director. Uh, later, he was a group, edi- uh, group editor uh, in creative services. Um, I think uh, one of the reasons that his name may be familiar um, is that he uh, he passed away in 1994, uh, and he died of AIDS. Uh, he was... Uh, there were a bunch of loving tributes to him in DC Comics at the time, and I think... Uh, it, comics by other publishers as well he was really well known and, and well respected um and uh he had been in a relationship with uh phil jimenez um and phil actually came out in a tribute to neil uh, upon his passing and that was published in dc comics so holy cow yeah so um by all accounts um super talented super creative individual hmm. um and uh yeah, so there you go. Wow, uh, and and he was writing into Thor comics at uh, boy, so he must have been fifteen. That this sounds time? right. Yeah, yeah. this so. is why you need to print the letters columns, people, because exactly. they're fascinating. Yeah. Exactly, and it's why you should write into letter columns because you never know you might become famous later on, and then you're like That's leaving right. a, a, a cookie crumb trail of awesome. You exactly, are. you are. Um, that's why I got my letter printed and grew the wanderer. Nice. 30 years ago, 25 years ago. So. And why I put mine in small favors. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, should we take a break? Let's take a break. Yeah. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up these, uh, Marvel comics of January, 1971, uh, when we get back. So don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Uh, Jamie, 
I just looked at the clock. Uh, we still have another eight stories to cover uh, that came out this month. Uh, I don't know how we managed to keep making this mistake every <laughs> single episode. an amazing coincidence. We're just bad at time management. Um, <laughs> you know, all this time I was blaming Rob, but uh, I think it's this is an endemic problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my yeah. fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know what we got to do? We got to shoot through the rest of these stories uh, with the human cannonball act that we call Marvel by the Minute. It's Marvel by the Minute. Ooh, we need helmets. We need uh, the human bullet helmets. <laughs> so the rules are simple. Uh, we get one minute to cover each remaining story. Uh, once that minute's up, we move on to the next issue. Um, we should we should tell people that uh, b- behind the curtain a little bit that we don't, pr- or at least Brian doesn't publicize who will be covering which Marvel by the minute yeah. beforehand, so you cannot prepare. Right. There is no preparation. Um, so yeah, uh, Katie, you don't have to participate in any of this nonsense unless you want to. You're welcome to give it a shot if you like, but feel free just to, you know, uh, heckle and provide commentary, uh, before, during, or after. I appreciate you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jamie, let's start with you, um, and have you, uh, tell us in one minute or less, uh, everything, every single thing, uh, <laughs> that happens in Amazing Spider-Man number 95, uh, written by Stan Lee, art by John Romita and Sal Buscema. The story is called Trap for a Terrorist. Right, 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 right. Okay, it's uh, coming back to me. And you have 60 seconds, and they begin right now. All right, Spider-Man is still super bummed because Gwen has gone off to London to be away from him and an orphan uh, with her relatives. Uh, Peter uh, wants to go visit, but can't afford it until Robbie uh, makes a... He's like, oh, the newspaper will pay for it if you go do something productive over there. He bumps into Gwen at home. I mean, uh, MJ real quick at home. Uh, she's flirty briefly. Uh, and then he gets on a plane. He meets a senator and the senator's kid, or maybe not a senator, a delegate, something like that. Uh, the plane is hijacked by terrorists, sort of, on the ground, it seems, mostly. Uh, Spider-Man stops them. Uh, he meets up with Scar- Scotland Yard in London, and they don't like him very much. <laughs> uh, the, but there's the, the, the delegates are kidnapped, uh, and Spider-Man finds out there's like a bomb that's going to go off unless... He finds them in time, and they end up being... They're hiding out in Big Ben. There's an explosion coming. He rescues them right in time, and then the news comes out that he's in London, which means that Peter Spider-Man being in London means Peter Parker can't show up at Gwen's. That's what I wanted to get across. Good enough. Yeah. Uh, And and I will say, like, you know, Skyline Yard doesn't seem thrilled to have him there, but they're way less hostile Yeah, because they don't have a J. Jonah Jameson... The egg in the mind. Well. Yeah. yeah. Then they start kind of positive on him. And then, like, he kind of, he's got like a bit of an attitude, I think. It's yeah. a Fox News metaphor. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. But it's it's the whole, like, the, the O. Henry style ending yeah. of, like, oh, but I can't go and see. I, I managed to finagle a free trip to England to see my lady love and I can't see her because she knows that Spider-Man's here and we can't both be in the same country at the same time. Right, because it would look suspicious. Yeah. Oh, and then he walks away in the rain. <laughs> it's just like, of course, the rain comes out of nowhere and he just so he can walk away in it. Park her yep. luck. Yep. yep. Um, okay, well, I am going to, uh, I'm just going to part time it uh, and do a 10 page story <laughs> um, from Astonishing Tales number five. Uh, I mean, if it's any consolation, I don't remember anything about this story. Um, it, it is the Kazar story. Oh, it's yeah. Rampage. Oh, I, was, I was psyched that someone else might do this one. <laughs> uh, it's written by Jerry Conway, art by Barry Not Yet Windsor Smith, uh, who is being inked by Frank Giacoya. 
Uh, I am starting my 60 seconds right now. So uh, Kazar uh, starts out. He's uh, <laughs> hanging on to like a flying feathery pteranodon or something with, um, I can't remember her name. Zal- Zaldine. Zaldine, uh, who he's been fighting against. She's like a worshiper of the sun god who is the petrified man. Um, and I don't know, like they, <laughs> they crashed the bird. Uh, the petrified man is like, he's trying to put out the fire that burns within him, um, but it's not working out great. Um, so then he's like, well, everyone's got to die now. Um, so uh, they go into a temple, uh, the sun god's temple, presumably, um, and uh, get into some sort of fight with some beastie. So there's a guard. There's the guard of the energy or whatever. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and then, yeah, uh, basically Kazar and Petrified Man fight and then he stuffs him in the pool and he disintegrates and that's how it ends, more or less. <laughs> uh, yeah. Good work. Yeah. Bravo. I don't know. This one... Boy, I, I did read it twice because I was like, yeah, none of that stuck in my did, brain. Yeah. And then I read it again and I was like, oh, still didn't. You well, know, <laughs> hopefully Jamie will get it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what did stick in my head is the on page two, um, the man thigh from underneath that you get, uh-huh. which is immediately followed by like, I don't know what a OK way to phrase this is, but the 69 position on a pterodactyl. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> on, on the third panel. Yep. yep. It's pretty awesome. Yep. No, it's this issue is is abs and butts and boobs and yeah. butts and boobs and dinosaurs and monsters and butts and abs and boobs. <laughs> yep. That's totally. all. That's uh-huh. what it is. And if you are a 10-year-old boy in 1971, I am pretty sure. You're having. You're having a great time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I can't then, explain it, but I love this comic. Exactly. Yeah. And then there's Dr. Doom and the Red Skull. In the next story. Oh, yeah. So... Do you want to do this one? I do not. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Jamie, uh, we leave it up to you. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. To, I had the first half of this. All right. All right. To take us through uh, A Land Enslaved, mm. the back half of Astonishing Tales number five, the Doctor Doom story written by Larry Lieber with art by George Tusca and Mike Esposito. Boy, what a what an all star lineup! Uh, you can tell they were pulling out all the stops with this the strip. Um, There's really spectacular doom faces throughout. Actually. Yeah, yes. yeah, that is a selling point. Yeah, so uh, your sixty seconds begins now. All right, so Doom is uh, uh, hanging out in the French Riviera, hanging out with rich people. He thought it would be fun, but he hates it, and he hates all the rich people. Uh, so he's heading home to Latveria, and not Latvia. Yep. Important distinction. Correct. I learned last week. Uh, where the We're Red still getting letters. <laughs> <laughs> where the Red Skull and his cronies are like Nazifying Doom's land while he's not there. Boo. Yeah. So they lock him up in like a sun chamber of heat absorption thing. But luckily Doom has a heat absorption thing built into its armor, so he's just soaking it all up. And then he breaks free and like kind of systematically uses that heat to beat up people. But until he then uses the cold to also beat up people because uh, of armor stuff. And then uh, there's more fighting. Uh, and then, uh, oh, then, oh, he makes everyone th- shrink. Yes. He makes them think that he shrunk them and puts them in a rocket ship and flies them back home. And he's like, uh, later they'll feel so silly when my hy- hypnosis wears off and it's revealed that they weren't shrunk after all. Yeah. Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Absolutely spectacular. Awesome. I And I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but like one of the things with the comics code is that you couldn't show villains triumphing. So like with a lot of the Dr. Doom stories, they have to like find someone who's even worse than doom. Yeah. So that's that when, like moral relativism, right? Like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so it's like, 
how can we justify Doctor Doom winning? Doom and Nazis. Yeah. yeah it's like, right. how do we put him up against the worst Nazi? <laughs> right. So, What's worse than Doom? Yeah. I do want to point out there's a panel in this one in which Doom is having a sort of disco inferno pose <laughs> and the caption reads, I need restrain myself no longer. And I am, it is out of context disco. Yeah. Yeah. And nice. it's very, very oh, that's good. awesome. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I am going to take us through an issue that I remember slightly better. Um, so uh, this is Avengers number 86. Uh, it's written by Roy Thomas. If you didn't, <laughs> uh, if you didn't know that, uh, the title would have given it away. Brainchild to the Dark Tower came. <laughs> um, uh, Wait, what did Roy Thomas do before he wrote Carnage? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 stocked grocery store shelves or oh, something? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Senator. Yeah. Senator. <laughs> Senator, right, right. Uh, the art is by Sal Buscema and Jim Mooney. Um, I'm going to see if I can do this in 60 seconds, and they're starting right now. So... Uh, Squadron Supreme. Uh, we are on their world. Uh, Nighthawk is flying the Avengers uh, to stop the launch of Brainchild One, uh, the rocket, um, which is going to uh, result in an environmental catastrophe um, if it goes up. Uh, the Avengers have glimpsed the future. Um, and so they uh, try to stop the launch. Um, they run into um, the squadron. They fight, and then uh, Nighthawk calms everybody down. We learn about uh, Brainchild. Uh, who is this like hyper smart 10 year old um, who has just basically had it with humanity and he's going to destroy the entire world and himself. Um, and his brain's huge. And his a, brain is enormous. That's a mood. Yep. Um, and so uh, basically they wind up having to fight through um, all the defenses that Brainchild has uh, put up against them. Um, and uh, they finally do it. Uh <laughs> They beat him, um, and his head shrinks, and he becomes uh, a normal, unpowered ten-year-old again. Uh, and then the Avengers go back home. Another oh. playmate for Franklin. Yes, but Vision has a just a creepy like realization. The last uh, three. Panels oh yeah, that's cool. Where he's like, you know, okay, so we just traveled to an alternate world that was very much like ours. How do we know for sure that we came back to our world and that we're not in a very slightly different version of the world yeah. that we left? It's like, will you stop? Yeah. You just, you this is why nobody, yeah, nobody likes you for this. You're <laughs> so, not making friends. That's why you don't get invited to anything. Yeah. I thought this was a good, a pretty good issue of Avengers. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's a Justice League story. So yeah. cool. <laughs> and that's what Roy would rather be writing. So yeah, right, know, right. that's, uh, yep. There's a cool shot of Thor firing uh, energy from the top of his hammer into like a Tony Stark machine. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah. And just a lot of the like Avengers flying through the air in fight scenes pleases me. Yeah. 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 Yep. For sure. Solid. Uh, okay, Jamie, how about uh, you take us through Captain America 136? Mm. Uh, the story is called The World Below. This is a good looking issue. Yeah. It's written by Stan Lee. The reason it's so good looking, you got art by Gene Colan, inked by Bill Everett. Um, and it looks like, unlike the last time they worked together, uh, they actually had time mm -hmm. to do the issue, um, which is always nice to see. So um, <laughs> I've got 60 seconds on the clock for you, and you may start now. Where we left off last was Captain America was falling down a gigantic hole with a evil science guy who has turned himself into a gorilla. They're falling down this giant hole. It's the biggest hole ever that the government has dug for nuclear weapon disposal or waste disposal. Uh, Sharon's real sad about it. Falcon's real sad about it. Nick's, Nick Fury's like being supportive for everyone. 
the the science. Oh, we get a recap of what happened last time with the science monkey man, science man. Uh, they find the mole man uh, down there at, at the bottom of the hole. Uh, he looks real cool. We get his backstory, which I have never heard before, and I don't know if this counts as his official backstory. Um, uh, and then Falcon gets down there with some help from Tony Stark. Uh, they are, think they're going to get peace out of this. Uh, uh, oh, God, losing it. Uh, <laughs> Because the monkey's like playing it cool, he shrinks down to human size to get the mole man on his side. Uh, (laughs) I was distracted by how well it was drawn. That's what happened there. Uh, And and basically, so yeah, so uh, the scientist gets mole man on his side. Um, He's like, "Why don't you just kill Captain America while you're at it?" Uh Um, And then, um, but they reveal basically when Falcon shows up. Uh, he helps Cap reveal that uh, the scientist was the gorilla, and that and the mole man was like, "Well, then I shouldn't listen to anything he had to say." Um, <laughs> and then they—that's basically because uh, Cap is like, "Look, I'll just tell the army not to put radioactive stuff down here." Yeah, it's fine. And then so finally, that's you know basically how it all works. Somebody out. did something heroic though in the end, right? Jumped in front of a laser and love. Oh, the it was it the scientist. Uh, oh yeah, because he because Bowman was like, I'm going to destroy Shield first, and then the surface world. He's like, but the lady I love works for Shield, right. and so he sacrifices himself. Right. And you he, know what the other thing this issue features is? What's that? Sharon Carter as the crying pop art romance girl. Oh yep. no way! Gene Cullen knows something about doing romance comics. Also, yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, it's also the first time we see Falcon flying. I mean, he's got a jetpack and not his wings, but it's the first time he's flying. So. I couldn't remember how he's been getting around before that. Just walking. Just walking. Cabs, mostly. <laughs> yeah, right. He literally took a cab last. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, is this the Mole Man's official origin? I, I've never uh, heard I think that before. It's the expanded version yeah. of the one from Fantastic Four, number one. Huh. Yeah. But it's like, I think in Fantastic Four, number one, it's like two or three panels. And okay. They kind of blow it out a little bit here, make a little bit more of a meal out of it. <laughs> so. Um, oh, sorry, everyone. Drop the ball on that one. That's all right. Uh, happens to the best of us um and maybe i'll do it here with uh, daredevil 74 um in the country of the blind written by jerry conway art by gene colon and sid shores the, now is not the time to do it, but i realize we got to tell people a little bit more about jerry conway because he's starting to show up um a lot uh in a bunch of these stories so anyway 60 seconds i'm going to summarize this one um so basically the cover gives away the plot um uh daredevil's asking for help from foggy and foggy's like what did you say i can't see because when you can't see you also lose your hearing um starts out with uh daredevil um fighting some hoods on a rooftop uh they get the better of him um he wakes up uh in his townhouse uh and foggy has shown up and he can't see uh there's this uh, epidemic of blindness going on around the city um and uh so daredevil goes out and and starts doing his daredeviling uh we learn that there is a uh, a crime gang uh on the rampage uh who basically has figured out a way to um to cause temporary blindness in people um and so uh daredevil uh hooks up with a gang of plucky uh, (laughs) citizen adventurers all of whom are blind and they all team up and they defeat the criminals yeah and then everyone Ever gets, gets their vision back, yeah. except for Daredevil. Is this right. the fir- this is not even the first time we've had that plot, right? Where everyone goes blind? 
Uh, boy. You're I asking me now to remember it issues that I've read in the later, past. But I feel sure that everybody's huh. blind, but Daredevil has happened. Well, before. there's definitely there have definitely been a bunch of stories where like the villains are like, and now that I've blinded you, Daredevil, yes. I can do whatever I want. And he's like, I was blind from the beginning, you fool. Yeah, right, um, right. But the, everybody's blind, and also Daredevil is blind, but Daredevil doesn't care because Daredevil is Daredevil. I'm certain we've seen this before. I mean. Yeah. You don't have to sell me too hard on that. Yeah. Idea. Like, <laughs> but I have read seventy three other issues of this, and I can remember about four of them clearly. Yeah, so. fair. Um, hey, here's an issue I don't remember well, but I don't have to talk about it. Uh, Jamie's turn. Jamie's going to tell us about Incredible Hulk one thirty eight. Sincerely, the Sandman. Oh yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, it's written by Roy Thomas. The art is by Herb Trimpey and Sam Granger. Uh, your 60 seconds begins right now. All right. We open on the Hulk who has recently crash landed from space into water and we get a weird poem that seemed out of place. Meanwhile, uh, the, who turns out the man who turns out to be the Sandman is walking towards the hospital where, uh, Betty is staying. Uh, he wants help from a surgeon who has a new technique for doing something that the Sandman needs. Uh, the Sandman, uh, last time we saw him was turned to glass or a part of him was turned to glass. Right. Um, uh, Betty wakes up to find Banner in the room. Uh, and like so. Meanwhile, they're having an interaction, and the Sandman is like getting a blood transfusion from the science guy. That's what it is. And that's going to cure him of his glass hands, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and then the Hulk shows up and smashes uh, the Sandman a bunch. They have a huge fight. Um, uh, Talbot shows up with the army to contain them both. They bring them up in the air, but then they fall into the ocean again. They fight underwater, and ultimately, uh, Betty is turned into glass from a blood transfusion. Right. Nice. Hit the, hit the major points there. Yeah, that's close enough. I mean, the big, you know, the big payoff at the end is that Betty, Betty she's a glass sculpture. So. Which is a meta- she- metaphor. I was, I was gonna say it's like it's like how can we how can we give our female characters less, less. agency? Yeah, yeah, but also some nice commentary on male like the male fears around the fragility of women and the, the Hulk is like he's obsessed with his big hulkiness and it's embodied <laughs> in him perceiving his girl as like made of Ooh. glass. I feel like there's some good. It's not. It's not bad, Roy. It's all right, and the art is spectacular yeah, in this. Yeah, yeah. There's some stuff the, that looks completely different than anything else we've seen. There are dream sequences because Sandman that are absolutely beautiful, but also like the panel work throughout is really interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like the, especially the the three that we spent a lot of time on this month are so nine panel. Like yeah. there's mm-hmm. so many nine panel grids, mm-hmm. and this one has almost no nine panel grids. And yeah, it's really interesting to look at. The, the bit with uh, Betty, um, she's asleep and she's having a dream. And like the Talbot They're, and the Hulk and Banner are standing on her. Are dancing on yeah. her. And it's like, and the, the, the dialogue is about the sugar plums dancing. And then the, <laughs> the panel art is like Banner standing on her. It's really quite good. Yeah, yeah, they're like climbing out of her head. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah. Like, I I, I don't know. I, Herb Trimpey, I, I, I feel like Herb Trimpey doesn't necessarily get the the flowers that he deserves. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and, you know, there's, there's folks who will point to like things about, you know, like some of um, his figure work or whatever, but it's like, I think he actually tells the story in a really interesting way. Like, like breaking it down plot wise, like layout, um, like panel arrangement, um, like how to draw your eye across a page. 
Um, I think he I think he understands comics really, really, really yeah, well. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. It's innovative and it's beautiful, and yeah. I, I really liked looking at it. Yeah, His sure. stuff continues to remind me of an artist that I never managed to look up before we get on the podcast. But there's like it, all these metallic sculptures that are elongated. Oh. Um, it's like a famous old thing. Okay. And like it, the, the figure draw, it, it's very reminiscent. Nice. Well, speaking of metallic sculptures. Nice. Um, yeah, da, da, da. you are welcome. Nailed it. <laughs> Um, okay, uh, I'm going to take us through the last issue we have to cover. Iron Man number 36, Among Men, Stalks the Ramrod. <laughs> hey, hey. Um, written by Jerry Conway, art by Don Hell, uh, writing, of course, as Don Heck because of the comics code, and Mike Esposito. Um, so, yeah, okay, here we go. Basically, we're wrapping up uh, the end of the uh, fight uh, with... Iron Man and Daredevil and Madam Mask and Shield against some of Zodiac, uh, and, and you know they win. Um, so then, uh, yeah, Iron Man flies off um, and uh, kind of has a little heart to heart with Madam Mask, who's like, "I think I'm gonna stick with Sitwell," and he's like, "Fine." Um, and uh, yeah, so Tony's like, "I need to." to get back out there uh, and I'm going to make a uh, Irish guy whose name I can never remember uh, the head of uh, my company. Um, and then, but then Ramrod shows up and Tony's like, Oh geez, I got to put the suit on again. Um, so he gets into a big fight with his giant, like, I don't know. It's, it's a big Iron Man type guy. It's like a crimson dynamo. Um, but he stresses his heart too much and he's collapsed by the end of the issue. Oh no. <laughs> Cliffhanger. Oh, and uh, we're promised the Wrecking Crew in the next issue. And I didn't look ahead, but I hope it's the Wrecking Crew, like like the Wreckers guys. Yeah, it's, right, right. It's like my favorite villain team of all time. Um, so, yeah, we'll find out, I guess. But Ramrod. Ramrod. Um, well, <laughs> so that's uh, that's our, our Marvel Comics of uh, January 1971. Uh, the only thing we've got left to do now is our Astonishing Takes uh, which are the things that we recommend uh, that our listeners might want to check out that are not Marvel Comics from January 1971. Um, I'm going to start out with a recommendation for Rain Like Hammers uh, by Brandon Graham. Um, so it is a book that I picked up from Books with Pictures. Hey. Um, and I absolutely love it. Uh, you know, friend of the show and frequent guest Joe Keating uh, recommended uh, the book to me. Um, and, uh, I picked it up and, and I've just been, you know, going through it. Uh, it makes me want to read basically everything, uh, Brandon Graham has done. Um, it just has this, uh, has a feel to it. Like it almost feels like a, a really gorgeous tribute to like Mobius. Um, hmm. but like not in a cloying or derivative way. Um, it, it just has this very surreal, uh, European sci-fi vibe to it. Hmm. Um, it is, I mean, the, like there is a story to it. There is a narrative, um, but it, it almost is a it's hard to describe it. It's like I, I I feel like I did not read this book as much as just sort of let it wash over me. Um, and it's just very kind of meditative um, in, in a lot of ways. And, and he goes into some detail about why and how that is um, in his afterward. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it feels like very, you know, heavy metal european sci-fi style um but he's a native pacific northwesterner like i think he was in portland when he did this so oh, really? he's in portland a lot i believe that he currently lives here yeah and uh yeah he 
follows us on Instagram. No and way. I've had some nice chats with him. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, Brandon Graham, uh, Rain Like Hammers. I highly recommend it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, my pick uh, this is a little odd one, but um, I happen to be browsing around Marvel Unlimited and stumbled into the Darkhold books. Have you read any of those? Like the ones that just ran? Yeah. Yeah, they're delightful. Why are they so good? They're <laughs> way better than the event that they are wrapped around, yes. honestly. Yeah. They are really a great deal of fun. Yeah. I don't know that I know anything about these. Um, I So I was a little confused because I'm... Does it connect to the Dark Ages stuff? Okay, or okay. I, no, there's like a problem. Not, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So the plot that Tell happens... Tell us, Comic Shop Proprietor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the plot that happens, such as it is, is... Oh, shoot. Is that like Doom's doing stuff? Something, something, something. Doom. Something, something, something. Darkhold. Uh-huh. Um, and all of these characters have to read the Darkhold in order to fight Doom at the end of the something, something MacGuffin. Right. Um, Which but, is a magic devil book. But right? what these issues are? So it is the book of the dead. It's mm. the book of the damned. It's the book of hell. But what each of the characters reads in the book is a different version of their own story. So it's like each one of them is if this character had gone bad. Oh, and they're great. What's your favorite of them, Jamie? Ooh, I really liked. Man, it's tough. I really liked the Iron Man one. I thought that was gross and creepy. The Iron Man one is the Spider Man one was breathtaking. Mm -hmm. Um, The Wasp one was super cool. Can I spoil the Wasp one? Because oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so it's it's been enough months. It's on Marvel Unlimited. You guys can read it. But what the Wasp one? So each one of them is like, what if something critical had gone? differently in this person's life like and what if wasp had met an abusive partner it's what if wasp killed hank oh yeah yeah what if she just that seems like a happy ending had enough well and it i mean that's that's why it's so dark right yeah. is that she's seeing this version of herself where she did not have to she went through other stuff she didn't have to do that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty terrific. The uh, the Spider Man one, like the world is falling apart on like a fun, like people are falling apart, buildings are falling apart, and so he and Reed, like Reed, did something to his webbing. So Spider Man sends like twenty three hours a day, like just webbing things, people, yeah. buildings, like, and he's like all gaunt and it just and he peter parker is literally the only thing holding the world together yeah wow. yeah the the metaphors are so cool yeah the iron man one uh involves uh a, a, it's like body horror it is body horror it is the super i mean it is the the perfect android story of you build the superhuman ai that is going to fix you and it decides that robots are better than people and so he gets eaten by his suit and then everyone else gets eaten by suits yeah and it's, it's oh. gorgeous body horror nice they're great they're really good yeah have i not said like i think iron man works really well as a horror comic. yeah yeah it was actually yeah. i texted it to you because you said that on the show and the next week the starkhold comic came out and i was like brian was right yeah yeah brian was right yeah nice um, you need to make t-shirts yeah brian was right brian was- <laughs> <laughs> with you, like I, mean, I like that you think i don't already have a pile of those <laughs> right. i know but you should like, make one with like gross body horror iron man on it yeah and then it go. says brian was right so good so yeah there are uh three four five six there are seven of these it's all different writers as writers and artists that's super creative it's a fun alternate reality thing i'm like i I started looking at it thinking it would be a disposable thing that i would probably fall asleep reading it was like riveted it was super cool i i love like when you have an event or something like that i think the best ones are where 
just come up with a springboard that talented creatives can just do something interesting with it. Take. Yeah. Yeah. It, it like it's like, hey, we're gonna remove this limitation that you didn't realize you were under with this character. Right. Um, and just go to town. Um Yeah. I'm and, like, I usually hate stuff that doesn't count. And like when I looked mm-hmm. at it, I was like, oh, this is not a thing that will count or matter. Right. And so I was super I went into it super dismissively and then was like, oh my God, I was blown away. Yeah. Cool. Uh Katie, do you have anything to recommend to our listeners? Yeah, so I mean, I spend all my time recommending comics, uh, but a book that I <laughs> so thanks for thanks for coming in on your day off. Yeah, picked up picked up the other day at the register because it's brand new, and uh, then got um, too moved for a book that I was reading at the register and had to put down and finish it on my own time. Um, was a book called "Dear Sophie, Love Sophie," a graphic not memoir in diaries, letters, and lists mm. um, by Sophie Lucido Johnson, and it's actually um, so it is a woman who has been an obsessive diarist since she was a child, um, and is now a high school teacher, and it is her taking excerpts from her high school diary. Um, printing them and then drawing uh, graphic graphic memoir responses to them Whoa, that fun. are about sort of how her life has changed. That's amazing. Um, and she, but she is this part of what makes it wonderful is that she was this incredibly like vivid diarist as a child, and mm. so she's right. The letters uh, that she's responding to are. Um, juicy i mean she's she writes about uh she was uh she cut herself Mm -hmm. and she then as an adult writes about cutting and how she thinks about cutting now as a behavior in children and then like has three pages on the kinds of mindful mindfulness meditation that have made her life easier Hmm, in adulthood whoa um and she writes you know diaries about boys and girls and romance and feelings and then she sort of writes back about that and they are beautiful and compelling and like really um really emotionally touching and i think probably more so because she and i are about the same age Mm. and so there's this sort of specific cultural moment of what the late 90s felt like to be a teenager in um and and seeing that sort of shine back at me is pretty intense um and i think it's a really beautiful book cool so it was Dear Sophie from Sophie? Dear Sophie, love Sophie. Dear Sophie, love Sophie. Excellent. Mm-hmm. For a second, when you started talking, it's like, is she going to recommend Dear Evan Hansen? No. That's, I, yeah, it's yeah. like, please do not. I passionately hate it from the depths of my soul. Cut that out. Yeah, that, nope. That is a rough trailer. Nopeity nope. I went to see the touring Broadway run because someone gifted me a ticket uh-huh. and I was more angry leaving than I was going in. Really? Even for a free ticket that I wow. did not have to pay for. I have like a distinct memory of coming across that on like someone talking about on the internet and just saying, read the Wikipedia summary. Uh, and uh-huh. I did. And I was just like, my jaw kept dropping. Yeah. Like I didn't think it could unhinge that way. Yes. But, but for yeah. a better representation of yeah. high school, read dear Sophie, love Sophie by Sophie Lucido Johnson. There you go. Nice. That sounds great. I, I want to check that out. Um, and Katie, thank you so much for joining us once again on your day off coming in and talking about comic books. It like, is an absolute delight. And I love, love your new studio. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for helping me stock it. Um, <laughs> and so 
everyone should already be shopping at Books with Pictures because we've asked them to do that the last two times you've been on. So you've been very clear. We should we should not <laughs> have to make ask it a clear. Third yeah. time, but uh, <laughs> what what else can we make some noise about for you? Yeah, I mean, we talked about Free Comic Book Day coming up in two weeks. Um, we also have a full schedule of meetups and other happenings, uh, which you can find on our social media, on our newsletter. On our website, I believe there's even a new calendar widget. Uh, Bookswithpictures.com is where you find us. And um, also wherever fine social media is mediated. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Excellent. Uh, Well, and uh, once you've done all of that, um, if you haven't already, uh, you can subscribe to our Patreon for the fantastic price of four bucks a month at patreon.com slash marvel by the month and get yourself some exclusive content including a extended version of this episode um review us on apple Podcasts or whatever you use to listen to us and if you'd like some free stuff in the mail send us a screenshot of your five-star review and your mailing address to marvel by the month at gmail.com uh you can find us on instagram at marvel by the month and twitter at marvel btm marvel by the month.com has links to our other social channels as well as our shop And that is it for this week. So uh, until next time, my name is Brian Stratton. And I'm Jamie Wenger. And we'll see you next week for next month. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay inside and read comics. Shut it.